hello, hello, fam. This is Kohan. And I'm Iman. And you're tuned into another episode of Name It. Your encyclopedia of big ideas changing how we think about the world and talk to each other. And today, our big idea is, cue drumroll, please. Safe Harbors by the Toni Morrison. But as always, before we get into our big idea, we're going to start with a case study. So our case study is the segment where we introduce the big idea we're talking about in an instance where we see it playing out in our everyday lives, our research, and in current events. For our case study this week, we decided to take a little survey amongst our million siblings between all of us (laughs) and ask them what being a sister means to them. Amazing. How sociological of us. Yes. Yes. So we are really lucky today because as a part of our case study, we are going to be trying out a segment called Phone a Friend. And Phone a Friend is the segment of the show where we call on our friends, sisters, and experts in training to join us. And today we are so lucky to have, drum roll please, another one. My favorite little sister slash only little sister, Amara Abdul-Kareem. Amara is an expert in sisterhood because she has a total of eight siblings. She is also a freshman at the University of Pennsylvania. Go Quakers. (laughs) (laughs) She's a spelling bee champ, an amazing baker, and an avid crocheter. So, baby girl, give me a quip on what sisterhood and siblinghood means to you. Yeah, so sisterhood has always been a super important aspect of my life. And to me, sisterhood means recognizing each other's shortcomings, loving each other unconditionally, but also checking each other when you think it's necessary. I don't think there's a better bond than one that you can have between you and a sister. They're truly the only people in your life who can give you advice with no judgment, but also the prior knowledge of living through your experiences, especially as a younger slash youngest sister. Being able to live through my sister's lived experiences and have them as a support system as I go through everything that they went through when they were in high school and college is like super invaluable to me. Yes. Wow. Relatable. So, uh, yes. As a youngest sibling. Yes, Kohar, you are. <laughs> the baby. Exactly. But now we're going to hear what my older sister, Alex, who's 18 months older than me, says what sisterhood means to her. And she's very much so the big sister of our family. So she said, and these are her words, that sisterhood is a community of endless support, open communication, and unwavering loyalty. Sisterhood is a love that is formed over time through bonds developed from experiences, choices, and circumstances. Yes. And my next sister, who's going to give us a little insight of what sisterhood is, is my twin sister, Layla. And she had this to say. An identical twin, that is. Yeah, they look just alike. And they sound similar. They do. Listen, when I do, you do. And all of you are about to hear. hear. (laughs) You'll be the judge, actually. Exactly. So here's Layla. To me, sisterhood can be summed up as, I think, you know, this quote I saw floating around on Instagram And it said something to the effect of making space for people in your life. And what it said in the description was accepting people for who they are, no matter what. You're not trying to change them and you just make space for who they are as a whole person in your life without any judgment or critique. You just make space for who they are. And I feel like that's sisterhood. It's making space for people in your life for exactly who they are and then knowing that that person is also making space for you. So to me, that's what sisterhood is. That's what all of my sisters give me. And that's what sisterhood is. 
Beautiful. Thanks. Thanks, love. And, you know, when she first sent that to me, I said, not my twin sounding like my twin (laughs) on here. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That'll happen. Yes. And last but not least for my siblings, I have a little brother. Obviously couldn't leave him out of this because he grew up with a ton of sisters. So this is what he had to say about what having sisters means to him. He said, in my own experience, I believe that having sisters has opened my perspective in ways that having brothers never could have. When you're young, it's hard to picture how your decisions affect other people. And I feel that having sisters has made me very aware of how my thoughts and actions impact others. Having direct insight into the lives of so many women at a young age clearly showed me what it means to have male privilege. I also feel that having sisters has shown me plenty of ways that I personally can support women as well as women's rights in general. While having sisters will leave you subject to some of the most diabolical bullying (laughs) ever, I also feel that I am so much more emotionally intelligent than the average person and I consider myself an ally to anybody that I can help. I would just like to say that the diabolical bullying did not come from me. So you can blame that on all of my older siblings. <laughs> you can actually blame that but, on Layla and I. When I think about how. Oh, my God. Psychological is warfare. Is he invisible? Where bro, is he? used to literally make him believe he was invisible. No. As way. like a two or three year old. Do you know how. I don't know how anything good in my life has come my way. Honestly, <laughs> that's some um, bad karma. No. That, no, no, it's really like, oh my god! And we used to have these very large, life-size raggedy, like black raggedy and dolls, Oof. and we would lay them over our bodies and run around the house chasing him. <gasps> this was, yeah, we were, and I hate what bulls. Age? I've never been. Oh my god, he was like three. He was. Little, they were evil, and I was like, it's always the twins. Six, and yeah. And I don't believe in bullying. I've never been a bully in my life. And Yusuf is the only person I've ever bullied. <laughs> and he still loves me. So that's what sisterhood yeah, I was gonna is. Say, that's, that's what sisterhood, sisterhood is. Exactly. <laughs> Unconditional love. Unconditional love, seeing past it. But we are going to pass it to the Vakyans. And let me just say that the Kardashians have absolutely nothing on these Armenian beauties. Every time I'm literally with you and your sisters and your family, I'm just like, the girls wish. <laughs> You're so sweet. We try our best. We try. (laughs) Y'all do more than try. (laughs) We're actually more like... execute. Northwest, we are the Black, Armenian, and Native generation that came before all the Kardashian kids. Because now they have a whole generation of Black, Armenian kids. Right. We're like, we did it first. (laughs) 20 years ago. (laughs) Period. But they're still giving us a good... Well, no. Not always good rep, but... Hopefully Questionable. we'll clean that up. Yeah. You know, the kids are good. I ain't got nothing bad to say about yeah. the kids. No, I think everyone loves those the, children. Oh, everybody loves them. I love them. They're, They're mad adorable. cute. They're, They're mad just, cute. They're really cute. Yeah. And Northwest is hilarious. hilarious. Peak humor. I love it. So we're going to get right into my first. Let's think of the order. Hmm. Funny enough, when my sister's. When we take a picture, when we do everything, we always go age order. Like we organize ourselves like that. Yeah. So how about we start in reverse order and we start with Nighty, who's technically the younger twin. I also have twins in my family. She's the younger twin by two minutes, but it literally orders how we live our lives. It's so funny. So this is what sisterhood means to her. For me, sisterhood is about having the weirdest sense of humor that no one else will ever understand. It's about laughing uncontrollably and making lifelong memories together about sharing each other's clothes with or without asking, supporting one another through the difficult times. I'm so blessed to have not only one but three sisters, and one of them is actually my twin sister. 
We're all so similar yet so different in so many ways, which gives us so many opportunities to really learn and grow with one another. I truly feel blessed because I never feel alone knowing I have my sisters. And I am so incredibly grateful for that. Thank you. Retweet. (laughs) I know. Never feeling alone. Never feeling alone. Uh, So true. Especially having a twin. Like you literally have a twin soul in this world. And that's what sisters feel like because. Oh, yeah. Surprise. I also have a twin. My oldest sister. (laughs) (laughs) Now that I have seen your older sister in person, I cannot unsee her. So now every time I see you, I see her. That's so funny. People also will say that we sound alike. So I've heard that type of thing before. And again, you can be the judge. Next, we are going to the two-minute older twin, Garine. We all have our Armenian names, so say it right, say it tight. No. (laughs) (laughs) Garine is a dancer. We all do different things. Um, Artiste. She's an artist, which she'll know in her recording. So let's just get into it. Okay, so of course... As an artist, I had to put a little spin on it and turn it into a poem. It didn't start that way, but it always ends that way. So for me, sisterhood is having multiple wardrobes. Sisterhood is creating secret code words and songs and dances that only sisters resonate with. Sisterhood is vulnerability, arguing, forgiveness, uncontrollable laughter. Sisterhood is love, nurture, loyalty. As life moves faster, we take our time while sipping wine, loving each other unconditionally until the end of time. Just kidding. That's an inside joke. She sprinkled those in that we only will get. Okay. All right. She wasn't that kidding. Is sisterhood. Exactly. We all say just kidding for some reason since we were younger. It won't go away. It's just a thing in, in our lives. Yeah. We joke too much. We play too much. You know what? You guys all have very playful spirits. I feel like. Yeah. Mm, I love that. Our parents are like that, too. Last but not least, the oldest of our clan, who's literally a parent mother. That's what an older sibling is, right? The oldest one? Always. It's like, one, we were talking about how they always get their way. Sorry, telling, it's true. (laughs) But also, I mean, younger siblings can relate too. Yeah, but in another way, their influence is also so powerful in our family dynamic. So this is Talene, the oldest sibling of us. Steady camaraderie and support, having a mirror around you at all times, for better or for worse. Sharing your upbringing and background with individuals that are so similar, but also so different from you. A humbling environment that teaches me how to respond to the world and social situations. People to share my highest highs and lowest lows with. A place to test out my sense of humor, my hype women, an extension of my wardrobe, my followers. This is what the sacred concept of sisterhood means to me. Beautiful. Sacred. Sacred. That's what it is. Yeah. And I love that there were so many repetitions. Yeah. (laughs) Where it shows that we are so similar yet different because we all focus on different aspects. Right. So what does sisterhood mean to you then? You know, that's a good question. This is what I would do when I was a kid. I'd be like everything that they said, (laughs) especially when you're the youngest sibling. For one, I felt like it was my crutch because Say we were going to a social event and I was like, I don't want to go or I don't want to talk. I'm talking when I got into maybe my like awkward phase. You know, when you're little and shy, I'd be so much more comfortable if my siblings were there. So for me, I did write out a couple words. Sisterhood is safety. And I'm really 
grateful that my sisters feel safe because I know that that's not always the case. It's the calm before, during, and after the storm. It's a constant, unconditional source of friendship and love. And having older sisters in particular means having role models, motivators, and trailblazers paving the way in front of you, which Amara, I know you relate to. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. You need that. And it's just, it makes life easier. It means being able to communicate with a single glance, a single word, or any single just look. Yeah. It's crying until you laugh and laughing until you cry for no reason at all. It's accountability, comfort, and loyalty like no other. And it's the beautiful experience of being a composite of everyone that's come before you. Mm. Because you came last. (laughs) (laughs) It's like you get to almost come after and absorb everything that mm-hmm. came before and take a little something from everybody yeah oh my god I that's so that. beautiful it's a blessing to be almost the last one because you it's a different position you hold yeah how about you sis what does I'm sisterhood just over here mean about to a you? shut a thug tear <laughs> hearing you guys oh talk god. about sisterhood and whatnot yeah and like speaking of getting a little emo over here yeah, like I always say being a sister is my literally favorite role in life. And I feel like I've been really blessed because I have experienced sisterhood in different ways. Like I'm a little sister. I'm a big sister, obviously, Tamara and Yusef. And I'm also a twin sister. And all those different sisterhood aspects are different, but all enriching in their own way. And I say this all the time, too, but my sisters, they really just keep me sane and they keep me grounded. The erotic episode, we know we talked about self-acceptance. We got a little vulnerable and I ranked myself lowest in self-acceptance because, you know, my internal voice be beating my ass. That's where the bully comes from. That's where the, yeah. <laughs> That's deep. Your inner voice. We won't like, go. Oh, that was deep. <laughs> but like when I think about the space that my relationship with my sisters opens up for me, it is a space of complete self-acceptance and non-judgment. Like, I feel that I can tell my sisters anything and they won't judge me, not because they don't have opinions on things, but because they see me for who I am more than I can see myself in a lot of ways. So it's like I'm trying to establish a relationship with myself that mirrors the relationship that I have with my sisters. Mm. So... Yeah, with my sisters and my brother, cannot, yes, yes. can't count him out. Yusuf, I'm sorry, you're here. When I say sister, I think of you as a sister too, because I'm right, sister to you. Right, right. It's all part of sisterhood. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. beautiful. Yeah. That reminds me of what my sister said about a mirror, because one, not only do you have a literal identical twin <laughs> mirroring yeah. you, yeah. but the word accountability came to mind because it's like, if you're going to try to hold your siblings to a standard, you have to hold yourself to that standard as well. Yeah. If you're going to call them on something, then you also have to, you know, Oh man. do the same back to yourself. For sure. And like maybe because you guys are little sisters, but I feel like being, and I'm sure you feel this way, but for me being a big sister, like it, exactly, it holds me to that standard because I want to show up as the best person that I can for Yusuf, for Mara. I feel like I can be a complete mess with my siblings who I'm younger than. And just be like, I'm all over the place. <laughs> but when it comes to like Yusuf and Amara, I want to be, I want to show up as my best self for them. Even though they completely seem, you know what I mean? Yeah. They know who I am. But like, I want to be my best self. Yeah. To I be that role the, model. In the same token, like if you 
are holding your siblings to a standard where you are unconditionally supporting them non-judgmentally, then you also have to be able to unconditionally support yourself without judgment. Oh, so beautiful. wise. Yes. So <laughs> wise. A decade younger than us is always so wise. Oh my gosh. A decade. Literally. Oh my For real. Gosh. For real. I didn't realize. I, Almost a decade. When my mom was pregnant with Amara, I was just obsessed with it. And I was obsessed with Amara. I know all of her birth stats. I know, like, Aww. just everything that there is uh, See, about you her. had that unique experience that Amara didn't. Yeah. Or I. We never got to experience our own mother's pregnancy. <laughs> yeah. We were the belly and the baby. Literally. Exactly. The baby and the belly. The, I mean. Exactly. 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 Right. Yeah. Aww. Yeah. But all the beauty that comes with a relationship that is non-judgmental, self-accepting, where you can be yourself, but also have a space for your own self-development is exactly what our big idea today is about, which is a safe harbor by the Toni Morrison. Yes, we don't even need to say the one and only. Exactly. She is the Toni Morrison. Yes. Rest in power, Toni. She needs no introduction, yet we will introduce her anyways. She was an American novelist and a black feminist thinker. And a complete role model for us. A trailblazer. A sister. Yeah. And I read her work for the first time in high school. And I don't think I understood the power that it held in my life. Yeah. And, you know, my favorite Toni Morrison fact is, I'm just remembering, guess where she's from? Oh. Northeast Ohio. I was going to say. Represent, baby. Represent. <laughs> and guess who is from Northeast Ohio? Y'all. This chicken, that chick right there. <laughs> That's why y'all are so dope. <laughs> Thank you. It's okay. But. Well, Toni Morrison is really cool. So clearly, yes. Northeast Ohio has something going on. Something in the water. The 330. <laughs> the dirty oh. 330. The 216. The 414. <laughs> <laughs> what was the first one? The dirty 30. Oh, the dirty 330. <laughs> is that your area code, right? Yes, yeah, that was our area code. That's our area code. I'm from the 508. <laughs> a mass hole. I'm a mass hole, actually. <laughs> Proudly. Back to Morrison. Back to Morrison. Speaking of Ohio, though, Toni Morrison wrote her first novel, The Bluest Eye, speaking of Ohio, <laughs> in 1970. And the critically acclaimed book of Songs of Solomon was written in 1977, and it brought her national attention to the point that in 1988, she won her first Pulitzer Prize for Beloved, which was written in 1987. And she was also all the awards, first of all. (laughs) She was awarded the Nobel Prize in Literature in 1993 and the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2012. Which I do remember that. I remember that, too. I remember that was a really big deal. So she wrote books about black women and for black women. And she wrote about the complexities of living in this world as a black woman. And now she is our ancestor who's truly still shining her light bright for us to find safe harbors every day thanks to the legacy that she has left us. Yeah, absolutely. So now we're going to give you guys the TLDR, which stands for Too Long Didn't Read, which is the part of the show where we do the reading so you don't have to. And like we said, today's big idea is Toni Morrison's Safe Harbor, which first appeared in her fiction novel Sula, which was published in 1973. And Safe Harbors was named by Morrison and her critics as this like connecting philosophical theme that tied together all of her writings and all of like the characters and character development in her novels. 
And Morrison first evoked the term safe harbor as a metaphor to describe the relationship between the two friend main characters, Nell and Sula, in the book titled Sula. So before we jump in, we're just going to explain, first of all, what is a safe harbor? So Google has two definitions. A, a safe harbor is a place that provides safety. Makes sense. Yeah. But two, if we're speaking in a legal sense, a safe harbor describes an exception to the law that specifies that certain conduct will be deemed not to violate a given rule. So basically, a safe harbor means that you're safe from the law. I hate legalese. (laughs) Don't even make sense. I'm like, don't you want to go to law school? What? (laughs) Work that out. Write better sentences. No, literally. Write better safe sentences. Period. But yeah, but Morrison, the way that she uses safe harbor, she uses it as a metaphor to describe the intimacy and the sense of safety that Sula and Nell had in their friendship and gave to each other. And so she really gives a new meaning to the term safe harbor by showing that a safe harbor isn't just like this physical space or like one's relationship to like a larger like structure like the law or laws. But safe harbors can exist between people and in relationships with people. Mm-hmm. And she writes when describing Sula and Nell's friendships, and this is like the famous quote, is, quote, in the safe harbor of each other's company, they could afford to abandon the ways of other people and concentrate on their own perception of things. So Sula and Nell are black girls growing into women in Medallion, Ohio, Northeast Ohio. And they're navigating crushes, sex and love, segregation and white supremacy, their relationships to their family and community, murder. It's a, you know, it's a Toni Morrison novel. We're going to have a little bit of everything. But they're also developing their own sense of self. And their friendship is the calm in the storm. So, you know, when I think about now that you guys said like this legal definition in terms of safe harbors being an exception to the law. Like, I think for Morrison, we can say that if the law is white supremacy in misogynoir, safe harbors in the relationships between Nell and Sula are the exception to that law. They're a space where they can develop themselves and abandon absolutely, and put a pause to everything that's going on with their families, with society, and focus on themselves. How about we define misogynoir? Ooh, yes. Good catch on that big word and big idea. So misogynoir was coined by Moya Bailey, and it's a specific type of misogyny directed at black women. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying that. Yes. If you've been listening to the podcast, I mess up on words. So I got that out. You're doing great. <laughs> These French people don't want us to be free. <laughs> Moya Bailey wants us to be free, though. Yeah. So I'm going to say, you know, I'm working on all my pronunciation. Because misogyny is the root word, but noir is black. Misogynoir is violence yes. against black women yes. specifically. Yes. Play on words. Yeah. So like I was saying, for Morrison, like the safe harbor in the relationship between Sula and Nell is the calm and the storm of everything else and all the power structures, family dynamics going on in their life. It's a space where they can abandon, like she says, the way of other people and talk and decide for themselves how they're feeling. So again, yes, it's a space of safety, but in the same way that it's a space of safety, it's also just as importantly a space for self-development outside of the purview of the powers that be. And where Sula and Nell can just exist with each other. And it's a great book. I think everybody should read it, obviously, but it's beautiful. So funny enough, I wrote the calm before and after the storm part Mm. before I read this 
part about safe harbors being about being the calm in the middle of the storm. Yeah. And I love that, that sisters are the ones that will be by your side during the storm. Oh, my gosh. Uh. I literally, this makes me think so much of, like, my older sister, Alex. Like, you know, when you're just a teen and so full of teen angst and, like, everyone is against you, your parents are against you. Relatable. Right. Relatable? Like, right in this very moment. <laughs> yes. Okay, exactly, exactly. And, like, I just remember so much that, I would just go into my sister Alex's room and she had a full size bed, but I had a twin size bed Mm -hmm. and I would lay in her bed and we would just talk and talk all the feelings out and just like spill all of our thoughts. And and obviously she would give me advice because it would be a conversation. But I just remember it as like a space where I could just like cry and be angry and like Mm. just talk to her about all the things. Angsty. Angst. Exactly. Exactly. Against the machine. So I feel like, Amara, you low-key use, you use the group chat. That's what I was just about to say. Like the other day I was like, I texted in the sibling group chat. I was like, guys, like, why does mom hate me? Like, (laughs) did this happen to you? (laughs) Yeah. Which, because, you know, now we're all, you're the youngest, but we're all out of the house now. So, yeah. I was an empty nest child. I was the last one. Yeah. That's a younger sibling experience that older siblings. Very true. You gotta gotta go through it on your own, low key. Like they're there, but truly, I know. There's no bed. I know. Mm. Yeah. I know, boo. It's different. It's different. You know, speaking of beds, I think, like you said, bedrooms are such a like sisterhood making place. We had bunk beds growing up. So we literally were on top of one another. Yes. We've all shared rooms with one another in different ways, different arrangements. I got moved out of my room once because I was messy. Then I got (laughs) placed with the twins. And then the twins would wake up at like 5 a.m. just to get ready for high school. And I'd be like, I need my own room. It's just so funny, all of those memories where I was very much that quintessential, like younger sibling that would just walk into the room, stand there, twiddle my thumbs do something weird and like walk out and then come back (laughs) and like say something else and leave. It's just more about like my sister said, never feeling alone. Like if I was just bored, what else would I do? Oh my God. Mess with my siblings. Oh, I do that. Like even Amara, you're so much more of like a bedroom child. Oh, like for sure. You exist in your <laughs> I do. Bedroom. That's like my space. That's your space. I relatable. <laughs> yeah. That was not me. I was a living room and kitchen child. I never mm. wanted to be in my room by myself. But beds, like I feel like that's so funny. I feel like I'm like that as an older sister. Like when Amara's in her room, I'll just always, bust open in there and be all like, all of you, what are you doing? Like, like when, when let's Yusuf hang. is home, he comes in, he flexes in my mirror, and then he leaves. <laughs> when you guys are home, you come, you lay on my bed. We don't talk to each other. We just sit there on our phones. Yeah. Like, just being in each other's presence. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. That's what I mean about you don't even need words to communicate with siblings where you could just you know, I just gave them a look. Give them that one look. Oh, yeah. Like when you're at it, like a larger family gathering yeah. with like oh your God. non-immediate family. And then like something happens and you just right. all are just looking at each other. Right. And it's like without words, you're you all communicating. Know. Exactly. Like you saw that. Yeah, I saw that. That was weird. Like <laughs> So basically between your family and mine, we confirm telepathy is real. Yes. yes. Absolutely. Communication I, without language. Yes. We also have a secret language. Do you? No. no. Lola and I at one point learned how to speak pig Latin. <laughs> but like. Do you remember any? Isn't it you just like move the first letter? Exactly. See, I never, exactly. I never understood that. Like that was explain that. 
say it. Oh my Ex-pay gosh. Ex-pay at and lay. So you oh, like no, add, no, yeah. you like add A to the end and then you move the first consonant to the end of the word. So like pig would be like eggs pay. Oh yeah. my gosh. And then Latin is at and lay. Yes. I remember all that and I'd be like, the kids are too cool for me. <laughs> I'm just going to stick with my own. It was a thing. It was a thing. It was a thing. It was a thing. Like speaking pig Latin was yeah. like a... Where does that even come from? I don't from? know. You know does it. That ha- is it racist? Oh, mm. I feel like most things are. Let's is it? Let's look it up. Funny enough, my sisters and I did have our own language. Okay. The twins have their own code. I swear, they speak in English words that they know, but only they know what it means in their language. So they'll just speak like nothing's different. Even but, at our grown age right now. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah, they remember it. And funny enough. And my sister Garina's recording where she slipped in a couple inside jokes. <laughs> she said, Umbaresa, which we literally wrote a song and sang it, the whole melody out from when we were like five. It was at my old house, so I was pretty young. If she were here, we could sing it, but I'm not going to do that. This was like you guys' own song? Yes. This we is still... why you're obsessed with boy bands. You, yeah. you made your own little girl group then. <laughs> we do. Your group singing. Girl. Exactly. Yeah. So we literally would perform this song and we can still sing it to this day. And it's gibberish, but it kind of sounds Armenian, which is funny. <laughs> we were going with the sounds we knew. Wow. Um, I did Google the history of Pig Latin and on Wikipedia, it says it appeared in a 1919 Columbia Records album by this guy named Arthur Fields. And plot twist, Arthur Fields did tour with the Guy Brothers Minstrel Show. So. <gasps> <laughs> Shut up. So, no. oh, uh, so Pig Latin itself may not be racist, but Arthur Fields. Its origin? It's or, the guy who was in the first recorded oof, sound of it. All good things from childhood. Definitely a little sus. Yep. When not all good things, but like when nursery doubt. rhymes, yep. all that. You know what I mean? Like, And then I'm like, Pig Latin. Pig Latin. Right. We're thinking, Pig? Hmm. Where did that come from? Yeah, also it says right. that in 1934, it was used in a short film where a guy tried to speak to an Asian boy using pig Latin. Oh, so, my God. That, See, that is coming racism. Anything. It is, it is, it is. You know, when in doubt, as a historian, I will say, just assume it's racist no, literally. if it's in the year 1919 or 1934. Not that we didn't have, you know, anti-racist movements back then, but most things yeah. were just racist. <laughs> That was when white supremacy was like actively being coined. They're like, oh, we are white supremacists. Yeah, trademark, KKK trademark. They're denying that that word ever existed. I'm like, interesting. Ike is a sister. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I understood that. (laughs) Iran is racist. Period pay. Period. Now I'm starting to get it. it. One day I'll. No, you know what? I don't need to learn this. Exactly. We can we can leave we can leave it in the past. Yeah. (laughs) Drops mic. The idea that you could even like have your own communication, your own code that exists outside of whatever, not even modern standard, whatever. Mm. The fact that you can a relationship can be a space where you can communicate differently is like exactly a part of what like Morrison is getting at with safe harbors. Code switching. I think Toni Morrison understands that that is at the root of sisterhood. Yeah. And I I think even our listeners should read the book so you get, she's so good at bringing to life dialogue and communication yes. yeah. in a way that feels so real and relatable. Absolutely. And actually this time, like I've read the book obviously, but then to prepare for the podcast, I listened to the audible of it. And it was just such a, 
I enjoyed it even more. Like, obviously, I'm an, an auditory person. Obviously, love podcasts. We're podcasting no way. right now. <laughs> yes. Didn't guess. But didn't <laughs> wanted to guess that. But yeah, it was amazing. So would recommend. So reflecting on her own work and all the characters she writes about across her books, Morrison said, quote, It is that quality of being both the ship and the safe harbor that I like in my imaginary woman. So she's very self-aware that she's crafting characters that feel real and feel like safe harbors and feel like home. That doesn't mean that these characters aren't flawed by any means. Right, right. um, But she's trying to imagine something that can feel like real life. Mm -hmm. And she describes how her imagined black women characters are both ships looking for a safe harbor of another person's companionship to dock amidst the storm and also to serve as safe harbors for others. Yeah. And something that I really like about this idea of safe harbors was like I had read Sula before I had read the book that actually introduced me again to the idea of safe harbors, which was actually so I first came across the term like safe harbors. Sylvia Chan Malik's book, Being Muslim, A Cultural History of Women of Color in American Islam, which came out like fairly recently in 2018. And so she takes like Morrison's big idea of like safe harbor to think about what made like religio racial movements like the Nation of Islam appealing to black women during the Great Migration era, specifically like during the like 1920s and 1930s. And like for folks that don't know, the Great Migration is what historians name as a time period basically between 1910 and 1970s, where it's approximated that six million black people moved from the south northwards into like the Midwest and the East Coast. That's how we got. Literally, that's how <laughs> we all got up here. That's yes, exactly. Here. Exactly. Granddaughters of that legacy. Yeah, which fun fact, both of our enslaved ancestors both trace back to Georgia. Yep. Both, so all of ours. Amara, did you know that? I did know that. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. yeah. We were saying that we need to take a commemorative trip together because I know all those memories still live there. And Toni Morrison absolutely comes from that entire legacy mm-hmm. of the Great Migration as well. Yeah. And yeah. she brings to life that afterlife of slavery. Absolutely. That, you yes. know, lives in the minds and bodies and souls of her imagined quote-unquote characters but really there's nothing unreal or imaginary about these characters absolutely and like that's exactly why I love the way that like Sylvia Chan Malik picks up the term because Morrison like you said is using it in this fictional setting but she's like no these safe harbors are real and specifically thinking about the afterlife of slavery like thinking about the early 20th century and the great migration as an afterlife like a different time period than an afterlife of slavery and so basically what she says is that when black women were moving northwards to these new urban centers becoming domestic workers and white folks homes during the height of Jim Crow when femininity was being equated with white womanhood or womanhood being equated with white femininity these religious racial movements like the Nation of Islam, like the Mars Science Temple, were really appealing and self-affirming and offering their own safe harbor amidst all of that. Like these were movements that were saying actually human life developed in Africa. Like now that's not a controversial thing to say, but like back then that mm-hmm. was like yes. crazy. Or that like black is beautiful. The Nation of Islam was like the first movement to take seriously a concern that black women were expressing that like larger civil rights discourses weren't taking up. The fact that like here were all these like advertising and we're talking about getting into post-World War II, like consumerism and whatnot, where like literally womanhood and beauty was being paired with like pictures of white women and like the cycle, like the impact of that. So here was this movement saying human life developed in Africa. 
black folks are beautiful. Not only are black folks equal to white folks, they're actually better than them. And they were promising women protection and a safe harbor, basically, from like the gendered, race and class oppression that they were experiencing out there in the world. But Sylvia Chin Malik also explores how these movements depicted themselves as safe harbors for women. But in practice, they always weren't such. Yeah. So really important point. And like that's a bit of a tangent, obviously, as folks probably know, if you've listened to other episodes, my area focus is Islam in America. So I'm always going to like think about an example. But I think like the point for our conversation about Morrison and safe harbors is that one is that I think we can see that safe harbors exist but are not limited to one-on-one individual relationships between like friends and people who care about each other that like communities and ideologies and like schools of thought can also be safe harbors and that safe harbors aren't perfect Mm. they're not perfect yeah you know you brought up your own research and our research ties together so well yeah When you look at this era, scientific racism is not just like it was not even called that. It was just science. And and that was the law and anti-blackness and white supremacy, obviously being the law back then, made black women feel excluded. Mm -hmm. Wayward was often the term. Yeah. Yes. Degenerate. Yes, Sadia Hartman. Truly. I was going to name her, actually, because we used her term after life of slavery that she brings to life. Sadia Hartman really brings to life how photography and all the technological advancements that were, quote unquote, improving life for white women or white people at large Mm. were then built off of the backs of the black people, immigrants who did not fit into the, quote unquote, free white person's category. Mm. So basically, a safe harbor would have been quite literal back then, because in order to be a citizen, you had to fit into the category of free white persons. Mm. Oh, my God. Literally. So a space outside of the law. Yes. Exactly. Yes. I was going to say, except for the exception of black people who are granted, you know, citizenship rights, quote unquote. Right. But in practice, the law did not actually even represent what was happening on the ground, oh, as yeah. we know with our oral rights, testimony. Like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So Toni Morrison, even though I think she gets at that line between you know, quote unquote, fact and fiction or mm-hmm. nonfiction and fiction mm-hmm. where everything she's writing about is completely real. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up Sylvia Chain Malik's mm-hmm. um, work because she's like, no, this is real. Yeah. This is how it is real. And like too, like as like grad students and like scholars, here's like not only is this real, but I'm going to use this concept as a means of telling you like history. To me, I always like I love that. Obviously, like why the podcast is named Name It. Like I love when like a term is mm-hmm. like taken to name a larger phenomenon out there. And like vocabulary. Vocabulary. Exactly. Look at Terms that. and words. Yeah. So helpful. Yeah. So beyond sisterhood and your family, where in your life have the both of you found safe harbors? Yeah, I'll go first. I'll but go first. I, <laughs> I think that for me, when I think about safe harbors, I think a little bit about the context that brought you and I together as friends. And I think about us being, you know, at Dartmouth, literally babies in the middle of the woods, like literally in the middle of the Appalachian, Appalachia, Appalachian mountains and us, you know, in a school where it was like a thousand people per class, nothing else around it, like totally just us in the middle of the woods. Like I think about like how I was like president of our equivalent of Black Student Union and like you were president of NAD and Native Americans at Dartmouth. And I remember how we would always talk about how hard we were working. For free. For free. (laughs) Literally doing the work 
of people that the university should have hired to do, like the programming, the events, literally trying to create and sustain community for black people and for native people, literally in just a pocket of white supremacy. And it was so not perfect. I mean, because we were children and trying to do this very big task. But I think about like that was a time where outside of my individual relationship, I was like actively trying to work to create a safe harbor. And then like through that hard work and commiserating, like we became close. Like I had a safe harbor with you as we would be like, oh, my God, girl, I'm tired. Mm -hmm. Like this is hard. Like we're doing this, but like this is hard. So that's so true. The commiserating, I think, is where sisterhood is made. Yeah, truly. (laughs) Truly. Oh, Let's talk about getting in sync on your period. That is sisterhood. That is Literally. Sisterhood. Where you're like all in a bad mood and you're like, I'm a period. And then you're all like, me too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or even like traveling together for like three weeks and you're oh, like, get me out. Why is this early? Why is this late? <laughs> your cycle sisters. Cycle well, I sisters. haven't heard that. I love yeah. that. Well, how about you, Mara? I don't know. I feel like this is like kind of negative, but I don't really think that I've found a safe harbor outside of like Mm. sisterhood and family Mm. and friendships like I feel like a lot of the spaces that I occupy are not spaces where I feel like I'm meant to be even though like obviously I'm meant to be there but yeah for real no absolutely I completely get you as a black woman who used to be interested in medicine like that's Mm -hmm. done research on that pay disparity even just like work-life balance all that stuff is crazy you're ahead of the game by the way you're already researching oh she's like all of it is just you know it's not a space built for us Mm -hmm. it kind of just feels like a space you occupy not one that's safe so I think that's why it's so important to have that sisterhood and connection with your family and friends because like at the end of the day, like that's what you come back to mm-hmm. to feel the escape from the that's places beautiful. that you're not welcome. So you know, wise. it's actually kind of deep because I didn't find sisterhood or like these safe harbors until I got to college and really experienced that commiserating, <laughs> but also those triumphs. Yeah. And also the necessity of finding safe harbors that it's kind of out of survival when you're in the middle of the woods. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> where you're like, You know, Raven, for example, day one, I just remember being like, this will be my sister. And it comes out of that feeling of not belonging where I think sisterhood can definitely be found. Oh, yeah. Like it's a means of survival. Yes. Like I say this all the time. Like you're the reason I'm surviving. Like (laughs) this PhD process, you know, and like you are like you are my safe harbor like in this. And I yeah, I'm just (laughs) that's why I'm moving in with you next week. (laughs) (laughs) I won. (laughs) I won. (laughs) That's so true, though. It definitely takes me back to NAD. But when I think back to NAD being Native Americans. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for specifying. Mm -hmm. Acronyms are not. (laughs) translatable (laughs) but you bring up the great point Amara is that safe harbors are not easy to find for one and that's why when you find them you'll know because it's rare to find Mm -hmm. something that feels so safe and real Mm -hmm. but two that sisterhood is not always good yeah and that it's often an exclusive category Mm -hmm. and a contested one that if you read this bridge called my back or so many black feminist anthologies from Mm -hmm. the 70s and 80s And before then, but these are just the ones I've read. You'll see how contested the category of just sisters was. Absolutely. Like, does it include white women? Does Mm. it include other women of color? Do we have the right to almost protect our space and make space for just black women? Mm -hmm. And back then, a lot of black feminists, especially black lesbian feminists, 
or non-binary people or trans women mm-hmm. were like, y'all's idea of sisterhood is not inclusive at the end of Absolutely. the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Audrey Lord was big on that. Yes, yeah. Audrey Lord was the biggest voice. Yeah. She was contesting people within this bridge called my back to be like, actually, here's the truth. That all the women were saying something and she was still maybe that voice that was going against the, mm. the wave to be like, maybe it's not as you say. And maybe yeah. sisterhood isn't this perfect, inclusive category mm. that we can all be sisters in. I think black women have been the voice to be like, who are you forgetting in this room? Yeah, definitely. I just wanted to say that to be like, totally. some sisters do not get along. <laughs> yeah, Some sisters can't communicate without words and without mm-hmm. a glance. Mm-hmm. Some sisters don't communicate. Yeah. And I feel really privileged to even have grown up with sisters that I have such a close bond with because it's such a relationship that was born of love. Mm-hmm. But that's not always the case. And Toni Morrison is getting at that even with Sula's relationships with. Yeah, exactly. Now. Exactly. And like that relationship is not. Peaches and cream. Peaches and cream. It's not because I mean, like, spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> Close your ears. If yeah, I mean, the book, the book was published. We're going to do better math this time. If the book was published in 73, how many years is that from now? That was 50 years ago. 49. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Approximately 49 years ago. So spoiler, whatever. But like Sula and Nell's friendship doesn't last. Like Sula ends up sleeping with her man, like and her husband. Like so like all that to say is that exactly like sisterhood's not perfect. Like people are not perfect ships and people are not perfect safe harbors. Ooh, ships and sink. Yeah, ships sink. Ships do sink. And ships what if that holes. safe harbor doesn't want to take you anymore? What if they can't for their own self and their own protection? What if there are too many ships on the harbor? Exactly. Capacity. Exactly. But like speaking of that, I actually found in like someone who like really thought seriously about Morrison's concept of like ships and safe harbors. I actually found a dissertation from the University of Nebraska that was published in 1990 by Constance Ray Custer Schomburg, which I just feel like as a grad student, it's always like I love finding other people's dissertation. It's like that's what we're going to be writing one day and working towards. Yeah. But basically what she analyzes the concept of safe harbor in the ship and across all of Morrison's work, not just Sula. And she writes that basically Morrison's idea of women being both ship and safe harbor is about her own belief in black women's duality and ability to, quote, be the safety and the adventure, the manager and the nurturer. And exactly. And so what Schomburg also talks about is that, like, not all of these characters are successful in this wholeness, but it's through their failures that Morrison is able to theorize the ingredients for reaching this wholeness and for being both the ship and the safe harbor. So Schomburg, like, analyzes her work and her interviews to get at what she feels like are steps that Morrison gives us in this writing so that we can all be both ships and safe harbors. Mm-hmm. It makes me think of mothers right off the bat. That was my first. Mm. My mom, first yeah. of all, but mothers in general. Yeah. Being both the safety and the adventure. Yes. The manager and the nurturer. Yes. That actually stopped me in my tracks. Something also in the dissertation put forward the idea that like self-love is also allowing yourself to be the adventure. Like allowing yourself to be the fun. Like you don't always have to be the nurturer. Like you can be the adventure. You can be excited about yourself. I texted that to Asha you afterwards. You don't to be I just, the manager. Yeah, you don't have to be the manager. Like, you can be... Are you looking at me? I am looking at her right now. Do you want to know why? Side note, but the this look. is something I'm... <laughs> this is something, actually, our friend Kay Yuri also helped me realize this. She's like, you always feel like you need to manage everything and everyone. Like, you don't need to do that. 
That's the middle sibling stuff, though. But... It, oh, it's 100% the middle sibling stuff. But anyways. Y'all are doing back the to most. Back to it. <laughs> back to it. it, it literally. That's beautiful. Well, speaking of self-love, according to Schomburg, the first step that Morrison gives us to being both a ship and a safe harbor is love and self-love. And Morrison herself wrote that people think that love is, quote, always a present you're giving somebody else. It's really a present you're giving yourself. Yeah. And sisterhood, as we brought up with our own sisters in the beginning, Mm -hmm. That's exactly what it teaches us. Oh, my God. For as as unconditional as you can be in your acceptance of your siblings, you need to give yourself that same love. Absolutely. And also in friendships. Like, I feel like because Mm -hmm. I know how to be a good sister, I know how to be a good friend. Mm -hmm. And so, like, being a good friend to people is also accepting them, like, loving yourself and, like, loving them. At the same time, like loving them for who they are. Like, so I'm well, never going to be upset if so you're a little true. late, Kohar. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you're the best sis. <laughs> in Amari, you're going to experience just, I don't know, I think in college, it's just all the skills you've learned from your yes. experience of being a sister will translate into just friendship making. Yes, and for sure. Being a sister to other people. Yes. And they'll be lucky. Manifesting yes. that. Yes. Manifesting it will. That I have no inshallah. doubt. We saw the angel numbers before we started. Yes. <laughs> you two and these angel numbers. I don't even know what that is. But. <laughs> I realize it's just today's date. <laughs> it's okay. Still, 2020. So. 2022. So the second step, according to Schomburg, of self-love and of love mm-hmm. within sisterhood is love within the context of a community. Mm-hmm. It's to allow yourself to be loved by others, by collectives, and by ancestors. So this doesn't always look like love in the nuclear family, mm-hmm. as we we're talking about. Sometimes nuclear families don't work out the way. Yeah, and in order to love yourself, you have to distance yourself from exactly. your nuclear family. Like, that's like what it, yeah, simply Exactly. Period. So this love within the community happens between friends, your chosen family, and between the organizations and collectives that sustain us. And additionally, as safe harbors, as an idea and Sula shows us, it can happen through books and through mm-hmm. language and through song and mm-hmm. through music mm-hmm. and through dance. And this is reminding me of Audre Lorde's idea of the erotic mm-hmm. that we talked about in our Oh, my gosh. And she literally says that the erotic. Oh, my gosh. I'm like forgetting the exact quote. But she says that the erotic functions for her in relation. And remember, Absolutely. she talks about it as like the bridges between she said people experiencing love or like experiencing happiness in relation to another being. Like yes. the joy is she, joy with that's another. It was joy. Yeah. Yeah. Joy with another. Yes. And I think that's exactly what we're talking about with Toni mm-hmm. Morrison. Mm-hmm. Her work is the safe harbor for us mm-hmm. as black women. Mm-hmm. And we can go to her work and her characters that she brings to life as mediums that allow us to abandon the ways that other people try to define how we move through the world and to cause us to have amazing conversations with sisters, yes. just like this one today. And it's in the safe harbor of her work that we get to know ourselves a little better. So. Thank you, Toni Morrison. Yes. Thank you, Toni Morrison. Yes. Rest in power. We love you, sister, for what you've brought to our lives. And we would not be here without you. Absolutely. Amen. Amen. Let's close out our episode with our half-baked thoughts. So, Kohar, what's your half-baked thought? Let me just explain so you know what I'm about to say. (laughs) Yes. A half-baked thought is that thought you didn't even think about before you said it. Yeah. It's that raw thought. It's just... 
truly the one that has not been fully baked yet. So here's mine. If I were a celebrity, I'd be Snoop Dogg. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I resonate with his energy. How about y'all? Yes. Okay. So my half-baked thought is, and this is going to be one for my journey towards self-acceptance. This is self-acceptance. This is what I was thinking. If you care about typos and mispronunciations, you don't want to be free. And I want to be free. And I've been listening back to this audio. I've said so many words, mispronounced things, said words that I didn't mean to say or in like behind the scenes, you guys should have seen them coaching me <laughs> on how to say a certain word today, <laughs> which I have been saying Guess which wrong. Misogynoir. Misogynoir. It's the French. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Like in our episode on dark matters, I was saying citizenship. Like I just... <laughs> My mom's a speech therapist. Do we Girl, need? I might have to hit her up. I might have to hit her up. But anyway, so that's my half-baked thought. I'm getting free by not caring how I pronounce things. And I hope you I all enjoy it. Language me is that. always evolving. You can make up your own pronunciation. Yes. Yeah. Truth. Here we go. Amazing. Amar, what's your half-baked thought? My half-baked thought is that FAFSA verification is racist. And I really appreciate the University of Pennsylvania for not making me pay $80,000 a year. But I would also really like it if I didn't have to go to their financial aid office and give them my diploma and give them a copy of my ID so that they know that I'm the person who is attending their school. Because mm. you want to know what? I bet that a bunch of my white classmates didn't have to do that. We used to say this all of the time. And Amara, you know, it's so funny. Every single year I got selected for FAFSA verification. So I will be really interested to see if that process continues. And same with Layla, same with Alex, and same with Yusuf. It's the last name. It's, ha- oh, it's the last right. name. Are you it kidding has, me? Abdul Karim, and we mark that we're black and Hispanic. I know. I know. They're like, let me see. Right. Exactly. Let me verify. Random verification. Yeah, random. random. <laughs> exactly. The word random is never random. That's it's my never. next half big thought. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Well, that wraps it up for today. What a beautiful conversation we've had. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of Name It. You can find us on social media at Name It Pod and everywhere you listen to podcasts. Please rate and review this episode and tell us what you liked and what you want to hear more of. And you can even comment a big idea that you've heard of that you want to learn more about. And we'll take it on for you. And you can catch the articles we referenced and additional resources in our show notes, as always, and on our Instagram page. And last but not least, please share with a friend. And a big thank you to the Poorview Center for Teaching and Learning and Public Humanities at Yale for providing resources that help to make this conversation possible. And thank you to also Amara abdul for for joining us today to talk about safe harbors and to talk about sisterhood. And sending you all out, I hope that you all find so many safe harbors to dock in throughout your time, throughout these days, and throughout these incredible hard times we're going through right now. Amen. Amen. Be well. Be well. Bye-bye. Kisses. Bye. 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 B